0: today. Ephesians chapter 6 is where we are if you have your Bibles. Um, Ephesians chapter 6 may be listed on your sermon notes. I'm looking at mine now for the first time. It says Ephesians chapter 5, but it's really Ephesians chapter 6. If you don't have your Bible or you don't have a phone that you can turn on or a tablet you can turn on, our ushers are going to come down the aisle. They have Bibles for you. We love every Sunday to open our Bible, read our Bible. We've given away more than 500 Bibles on Sunday just like this. So if you don't have one, Don't feel ashamed to raise your hand, just wave at an usher, take the Bible, put your name in it, it's yours, take it home, read it, bring it back next week, um, and begin with us as as you travel on your spiritual journey. In Ephesians chapter 6, we go to verse 10, and we start with a word that makes us stop. Let me say that again, we go to Ephesians chapter 6, verse 10, and we start with a word that makes us stop. I want you, if you have not yet, to go inside your bulletin and grab your sermon notes so that you can follow along as we try to give some good take-home material for you to go home and study later in your Bible study time. But in verse 10 of Ephesians chapter 6, the Apostle Paul, who's writing this letter to a church at Ephesus, says, finally. Now, I have tried to teach you words in Scripture that when you read, you just stop. And this is one of those. Because this is a word that demands context. This means, finally, Paul has come to the last point of his message. He's come to the last point of his letter. As you, If you see this letter as a sermon, which really it was a written sermon, Paul has come to the last point of his sermon. So when we read, finally, n- no one, well, maybe every now and then some of us would like for the pastor to just get to his last point uh, and be done. But most of us would want to hear the beginning of the message first. So I want to give you a little background on Ephesians 6. Uh, Ephesians chapter 1, verses 6 through verse, verse 9, so that we can jump into finally and I can finish the message. The book of Ephesians has two sections. Paul's writing to a church he started. He stayed in Ephesus um, for a period of about 18 months, and he preached and he taught every day. Uh, and then he wrote him a letter and said, here's what you need to know more about your faith. Uh, the first section is made up of Ephesians 1 through 3, so the book's divided evenly in half. And it's just three chapters of theological truth. Specifically dealing with salvation, how people how people restore their relationship to God, how people connect to God, how people through Jesus can place their faith in Jesus and be connected and filled with the God of this universe so they can walk with him on a daily basis that 's Ephesians one through three The second section of the book of Ephesians chapter four through six deals with practical Christian living christianity one hundred one it 's what you and I would want Paul to preach on if he came here. Hey, Paul, just tell me something about my Christian life. Tell me how to be a good Christian. Tell me how to be a better Christian. Give me, just give me one or two tips that will help me this week spiritually. That's Ephesians 4 through 6. And that really is the heart of our church. This week, I got an email from uh, a mom in our church who couldn't be here today. Her boy's playing baseball in Columbia, but just reflecting on two years. She said, Christian, when my 15-year-old says during a service that he really wants to be there the next Sunday for a sermon you're describing, that is miraculous. Keep up the good work. Journey has truly blessed my family and Lee Summit with the spiritual gifts and sacrifices that y'all make each day to bring us closer to living the life that Jesus intended. See, our church is not just about you coming to church on Sunday. Our church is not just about you making a spiritual decision. Our church is about helping you moment by moment, day by day for the rest of your life live for Jesus, as we talked about last week, live from Jesus. Our church is about equipping you for the spiritual journey because way more of your Christianity will be lived outside of our church than inside of our church. So we're all about spiritual growth and spiritual development. So was the Apostle Paul. And if you were to say, well, how good is this message in Ephesians 4, 5, and 6? If I could point you back to the future, we see that 30 plus years later, this church has a letter delivered to us that was authored by Jesus, written by an angel, given to John to give to this very church three generations later. The angel says to them in Revelation chapter 2, verses 1 through 3, hey, when it comes to practical Christian living, you're doing a pretty good job. It said the angel to the to the angel of the church in Ephesus write these are the words of him who holds the seven stars in his right hand and walks among the seven golden lampstands that's a description of Jesus I know your deeds I know your hard work. I know your perseverance. I know that you can't tolerate wicked people, that you've tested those who claim to be apostles or not, and you found them false. You have persevered and you've endured hardship for my name, and you've not grown weary. They would go on to hear a few things that they had to fix, but Jesus says when it comes to practical Christian living, like A+, plus, you're doing awesome. Now, it's not surprising that the church in Ephesus would do that well. And maybe Ephesians chapter 4 through 6 is the greatest portion of any sermon that was ever preached. I want you to think about it this way, 30 plus years of spiritual obedience to a message, that would be like you today hearing a message that you applied so well to your life that your children lived it out in their life. And you applied it so well to your life and your children lived it out so much in their life that their children, your grandchildren lived it out in their life. See, I did the math this week on 30 plus years. And I thought if I gave a message today that in 30 years Journey Church International was following, that means hopefully in 30 years I'll be 65 My kids are going to be in their 40s. My grandkids are going to be teenagers. That would be like a message I preach today, living in the DNA of my grandkids. Like This may be one of the greatest, most caught sermons that was ever given to anyone anywhere. And when you look at the pastors of the church in Ephesus who sank their teeth into the spiritual uh, DNA of the people there, the first pastor of the church of Ephesus was the Apostle Paul. He was there. He started the church. He then turned it over to his apprentice, Timothy, who then later would turn over the church to the apostle John, the last living disciple of Jesus' original 12. Some church historians believe that Mary, the mother of Jesus, went to Ephesus, where John took care of her, and she died there. Can you imagine having one of Jesus' disciples be your pastor and his mom lead your small group? Like, this would be like one of the coolest churches ever, right? This was the church of Ephesus. This was the church that caught hold of what it meant to be a Christian and to live the Christian life. And what did Paul say? We don't have time to track all of it today, but I just wanted to give you just a few things of of what Paul said. Here's some practical advice for your Christian life. In Ephesians 4.1, he said, live worthy of Jesus. Man, just realize who Jesus is. Realize what Jesus did for you. Live worthy of Jesus. Does Jesus have any value in your life? I mean, I think about what Jesus did for me and it's why I can't get through worship without raising my hand. It's why I can't get through worship without praying. It's why I can't get through worship without sometimes crying because when I think about what Jesus did for me, when I think that my sin is behind me, when I think that I've been forgiven, when I think that one day I'm gonna live forever in eternity with God, it's like that to me is great value and I want my life to be worthy of that value. Uh, Paul said in Ephesians 4, 14 and 15, mature spiritually. Like grow up, grow up spiritually. And and, and I think this is a message that every Christian continually needs to be challenged with. Grow spiritually. He said in Ephesians 4, 21 through 24, you need to become a new person with a new way of thinking. You see, when Jesus changes your life, Scripture says that your heart is changed, and not only your heart is changed, but your mind is changed. You become a new person with a new way of thinking. In Ephesians 5, 8 through 10, I, I love it. It's pretty simple. Paul said, live for Jesus. Like live for Jesus. And yes, we have a lot of hopes and we have a lot of dreams and we've got a lot of goals for our life and all those things are great, but filter them all through the lens of living for Jesus. And then this series started five weeks ago with Ephesians 5, 16 through 18. Paul said, make sure you stay filled spiritually. Last week we looked at all those chargers that I use on our international mission trips and how you have to figure out in a foreign country what will charge your battery And we said, spiritually, we have to figure out what will charge our battery. Because like a car that's leaking oil or wiper fluid or transmission fluid or the other things that my car leaks when I drive it around town, uh, we are leaving a trail. When we leave spiritually, we're leaking Holy Spirit fluid. And by the time we get from week to week, we're drained spiritually. So Paul says, you've got to fill up because you leak. You have to fill up because you leak spiritually. Ephesians 5.18 kept being filled. Make sure that you allow God to fill you. So we read these five things, and we think, man, that's good stuff. Live worthy of Jesus, mature spiritually, become a new person with a new way of thinking, live for Jesus, stay filled spiritually. Like, those are good things. Question, how do I do that? Like, those are great challenges. I'd like all those. How do I do that? That's where we come to in Ephesians 16. Finally, finally. Now, Paul's going to tell us, How to do that. So here's what he says, Ephesians chapter 6, verse 10 through 17. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Therefore, put on the full armor of God so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground. And after you have done everything, to stand. Stand firm, then, with the belt of truth buckled around your waist, with the breastplate of righteousness in place, and with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. In addition to all this, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one, and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. Question, Christian, question, Apostle Paul. How do I do what Paul said? How do I become a strong Christian and grow spiritually? Paul says you have to learn how to prepare for spiritual warfare. You have to learn how to prepare for every day of your life spiritually. And he said you need to learn three things. Three things we're going to go through quickly, and then we're going to spend some time looking at the armor of God. One, you've got to learn that you've got to be strong in God's power. Ephesians 6.10, finally be strong in the Lord. Now, I want to ask you a question that I do not want you to answer out loud. And I'm going to repeat that again because I know people kind of check in and out of messages. And if I ask a question and you think I want you to answer it out loud, you might embarrass yourself. So let me say this again. I'm going to ask you a question that I do not want you to answer out loud. Bump your neighbor and say, don't answer this out loud. All right. Here's the question. Are you a strong Christian? Are you a strong Christian? When you think about the strong Christians in, you, in your life, the people who are strong in the Lord, Are you there? Because this is the first thing Paul wants us to know in verse 10. He said, listen, man, you need to be strong in the Lord. You need to be a strong Christian. Man, most of us have people that we respect so much spiritually. We put them up on a pedestal. We see how they walk with the Lord. And we think, man, like they are a strong Christian. No, you are supposed to be a strong Christian. How do we get there? Good question. Paul's going to tell. Secondly, Paul said, you don't have to embrace spiritual warfare, but you have to understand it. You don't have to get up every day looking for a demon to kill. But you, you have to understand the reality of spiritual warfare. You, you don't have to be like David who raced to kill Goliath. But you have to understand every now and then you're going to have some giants in your life. Next week we'll talk specifically about tearing down spiritual strongholds in your life that maybe they've been a curse in your family and your granddad did it and your dad did it uh, and now you're doing it and your son's going to do it if you don't stop it right now spiritually. So we're going to talk about the giants in our life that, hey, we may not want to run towards them, but we can't run away from them either. And then number three, Paul says you got to stay covered and protected spiritually. Put on The armor of God so you can stand. Put on the armor of God so you won't fall. Put on the armor of God so you can do this thing spiritually the way it's been meant to do. So what is the armor? There are seven items that Paul lists for us. And when we understand them in their spiritual context, I believe, for me specifically, three of them this week, of the six items, three of them this week for me have been pretty transformational. Um, you know, there's, there is, uh, there's truth that's, um, that's informational, something you learn. Then there's truth that's transformational, something that changes you. Three, I believe three of these things this week for me have, have, have transformational power if I'll follow through on them. What are they? Spiritual armor, armor item number one. The apostle Paul said, put on the belt of truth. Verse 14, you should underline these, highlight them, circle them. Uh, Write them down somewhere if you don't have sermon notes. Stand firm then with the belt of truth buckled around your waist. You know, Jesus had an interesting conversation with a man named Pontius Pilate who had the ability to to basically condemn him to death. And I believe Pilate asked a question that our entire world has been asking since the world began and will ask till the world ends. Jesus and Pilate were talking and Pilate was asking him if the if if the uh, accusations against him were true and Jesus didn't answer and, and then he kind of said, if you knew me, they knew you'd know the truth. And Pilate said, what is the truth? Like, what's the truth? What's true? What can I believe? What, what, what is totally true? We find out in Scripture that according to John fourteen six, Jesus said, I am the truth. If you know me, you know the truth. But when we begin to learn things in the context of spiritual warfare, Every every weapon that God has, every piece of armor that God has for you has been shaped for a weapon that Satan will use against you. So if God gives you a piece of armor called truth, that means the devil has a weapon called lies. Thank you, Tanisha. Everyone else can join in the conversation if you want every now and then. In John chapter 8, verse 44, hear this now, hear this. This is powerful stuff. I gave this to someone this morning on the sidewalk, shaking hands, and they were like, dude, that's good. John 8, 44, Jesus is fighting with some people who don't follow God. He said, You belong to your father, the devil. You want to carry out your father's desire. He was a murderer from the beginning, not holding to the truth, for there's no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks his native language, for he is a liar and he's the father of lies. Listen now. Let me give you some some, some good doctrine. Every lie you've ever heard, every lie you've ever told, every lie you've, you've ever been hurt by, every lie you've considered telling or scheming has come from the source of Satan, according to John eight forty four. 44. Every lie you've ever heard, thought, been, been around, told yourself, told to others, all those have been birthed by Satan. So God says, I'm going to create a, a, a protection for you called truth, and Satan said, I'm going to try to penetrate that truth with lies. Now, I believe that the, the number one way that Satan does this, and it's funny that I'm using this word, but, but again, some transformational things are happening in my life. I, I believe um, that Satan works through what I recently heard described as self-talk. I believe that Satan works through self-talk. What is self-talk? Self-talk is, is, is you talking to yourself. Um, here's a statistic I recently heard, that the average human being, can speak up to 20,000 words a day to themselves. Now, some of you are thinking, you know, I think this guy's nuts. That's five, and one of them's a contraction. So, you know, that would be sick. See how quick that that self-talk comes? Up to 20,000 words a day, you're constantly rolling around in your your mind, in your heart, and in your soul. And 75% of them, I read a a psychology article this week that said 75% of the thoughts that we think are negative, they're counterproductive, or they work against us. And if they're not true according to scripture, they come from, who's the source? Say, see, I believe Satan works his lies through just the inner conversations that we're having with ourselves all the time, nonstop. Some of you are like me, you can't even fall asleep without some more noise in your life. I tell Danielle, if you, you know, she's like, Christian, you have to turn the TV off, I can't fall asleep. I said, you don't understand. If we turn the TV off, my mind comes on and then I can't go to sleep because whatever's inside of me never shuts up. Um, and it just goes and goes and goes and goes and goes. This Tuesday, uh, Danielle and I were sitting, I was sitting in our living room, she was sitting in our kitchen. Uh, and I was sitting on the couch working on my laptop and uh, she said, um, Christian, I need you to look at something. And I said, what is it? And she said, uh, I, I've got this thing on my ear. And like, I'm, af- I'm afraid that I have skin cancer on my ear. And I, you know, I said, you don't have skin cancer. You're, you know, you're fine. You're okay. And she said, no, I need you to look at it. So I'm sitting probably 20 feet away from her. And I say, it looks fine. She said, you can't even see it. Come and look at it. <laughs> so I go over and look at it. And it looks bad. I mean, just between you and I, like it, it was a different <laughs> color. Like on top of her, it's a different color. And like the skin was peeling off, and it was kind of pink and orange, and I and, and I got worried. I was like, you know, like that's that's like. She's like, what do you, what does it look like? It's like not not good. And I said, maybe you ought to call uh, the doctor and just go have it checked out, because that you know it doesn't look great. And she's like, you know, okay. So she goes upstairs to get her cell phone. I sit back down on the couch, and now I'm worried, you know, and I'm beginning to think, oh Lord, what's going to happen. And I'm just processing through my mind what, what's happening. Five minutes later, Danielle comes back down the stairs. And she, you know, kind of got a smile on her face, and she's kind of going on her business. And I said, you know, what, what did the doctor say? What doctor? Said said, about your ear, what did the doctor say? She said, oh, I just remembered I burnt myself with the curling iron. <laughs> and I thought, like, I was praying for you, right? I mean, I had already figured out a way for you to wear glasses with only one ear. Like, you know, I'm processing... I'm processing this horrible truth that my wife is going to lose her ear. When the truth was, she just forgot she burned herself with the curling iron. And here's my question for you. What cancerous lies is Satan filling your head and heart with that if you would just remember the truth, you would remember they're not true? What lies inside your head are saying your marriage is not going to make it? What lies inside your head are telling you it's okay to, to have a relationship with someone that's not your spouse? What lies inside your head are telling you that maybe your kids are never going to come back to Jesus, or maybe you're never going to truly be forgiven, or maybe you're never going to have another chance spiritually, or maybe you thought God had this life intended for you and something messed that up. Maybe you or somebody else or some circumstance out of your control messed that up. What lies in your head are saying that was your one shot and you blew it and it's over? What cancerous lies are in your head that your finances are never going to be fixed, that you're always going to be broke, that you're always going to be depressed, that, that life is always going to be bad, that your boss is going to fire you, that, that your parents don't like you, that you know, your relationships can never be repaired? What lies are in your head that if you would just say, time out, let's go back, and, and you would pass it through the belt of truth, that you would say, that's not true. That's just the devil in my head. You know, when, when I was younger, I couldn't lie to my dad. Maybe some of you are, are the same way. I couldn't figure out till I had kids how my dad always knew I was lying. Then, then you have kids, and, like, they're just so full of it. You know what I mean? And it's so obvious. It's like, that's a lie. And I used to try to lie to my dad, and my dad would say, look me in the eye and tell me that. And I would, like, try. You know, and i twitch. I can't. I can't look you in the eye. That was a lie. I'm sorry. Um, you know, I couldn't lie to my dad. And Scripture tells us, in 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verses 4 and 5, Scripture says, and, and I wrote it down wrong on your sermon notes. You might change it. 2 Corinthians 10, 4 and 5. It says, the weapons of our warfare. Here's spiritual warfare. They're not carnal. What does that mean? It's the same word for flesh. They're, they're not physical, but they're mighty in God for pulling down strongholds, casting down arguments and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God, and bringing every thought into captivity through the obedience of Christ. Here's what Paul's saying. You want to learn to wear the belt of truth in your life and to keep the devil out of your heart and head And in this you know, three out of four things you think are not God-centered in your life and where your life is headed? He so said, here's what you do. Every thought you have, you put it in jail. You have a little mental jail cell. Bring it into captivity. You lock it up. You give Jesus a key, and you say, Jesus, if it's true, you let it out. If not, throw it away. You see, what I have learned spiritually is that you have to make your thoughts look the Holy Spirit in the eye. Because the devil does not have the power to lie to the Holy Spirit of God in you. And when you can take the truth of God and you can take the Spirit of God that lives in your heart and you can have a thought that, you know, it's not worth forgiving someone. It's not worth giving. It's not worth serving. It's not worth trying to fight for my marriage or I can't be forgiven or I cannot forgive. You stop and you look through the lens of Scripture and the Holy Spirit and you put on the belt of truth and realize those are the lies of the devil and that is not God's plan for me. Paul says you got to put on the belt of truth. Because if you cannot live and exist in a state of truth, you're never going to be where you want to be spiritually. Armor item number two, Paul says you got to put on the breastplate of righteousness. Now, righteousness, most simply defined, is right living. Righteousness is right living. Righteousness is doing the right thing according to God. And we often think of righteousness not as a breastplate but a burden. Righteousness is the rules. Righteousness is what we have to do. Righteousness is what we're not allowed to do. And we see righteousness as a leash holding us back rather than a breastplate protecting us. But righteousness is not a burden. According to the Apostle Paul, it's, it's a breastplate. Now, the breastplate of the soldier was the things that literally protected all their vital organs. You can, get, you can lose an arm, you can lose a leg. I'm sure it wouldn't be comfortable, but you can. And you can survive. But if one of your vital organs gets stabbed with a sword, you're out of the game. And Paul is basically saying you have to understand that your vital spiritual organs are protected by right living. God is giving you the standards that he's given you. He's giving you the instruction that he's given you. He's given you the challenges that he's giving you to protect your spiritual organs, to protect your heart, to protect your soul, to protect your emotions. And in James 1.15, the devil, again, if, if God forms a piece of armor, he's forming it through a weapon that Satan is using. James 1.5 says, after desire has conceived, James 1.15, it gives birth to sin, and sin, when it's full grown, gives birth to death. So Jesus says, I will show you the way of life. And Satan says, I will tempt you towards death. And it's pretty simple, biblically, right living rewards us spiritually. Sin screws things up. Right living seems to just bring with it, according to Galatians chapter 6, we call it the law of, of sowing and reaping. Do the right thing, it usually pays off. Do the wrong thing, it usually messes up. And here's, here's, here's what I feel real convicted to say to our church today. There's some of you in here, not all of you, but there are some of you in here today. You're not living the right way. And you call yourself a Christian, and, and maybe you are. And you desire all the spiritual protection of God in your life, and that's a smart thing. But you refuse to put on the breastplate of righteousness. You say, God, I, I want your love, and God, I want your forgiveness, and God, I want your protection, and God, I want your blessing. But God, I will not live your I will not live life your way. I'll live it my way. And scripture says if we want the protection of God on us, we have to put on the breastplate of right living. We have to put on the breastplate of doing what God says to do even when it's difficult Ar- armor item number 3 this would be the second one belt of truth would be one that's really God has been marinating in my spirit this week the second one for me is armor item number 3 feet fitted with readiness because I don't think I ever properly understood this piece of armor until this week and once I once I understood it because I need more truth in my life and because my my inner voice is so often negative and critical and pessimistic and scared and lacks faith. Um, what I learned about, about this piece of armor was really cool for me. So a look, at, um, look at verse 15. Let's go back to verse 14. Stand firm then with the belt of truth buckled around your waist, breastplate of righteousness in place, and with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. What does that mean? Because that one's the one to me that doesn't make sense. Like, okay, I, I get the belt, you put that on. Um, and truth, I get truth. And I get the breastplate, because I, you know, I can picture a Roman soldier in my head. And you put that on. And, like I, and shoes, I understand. But shoes for the readiness that comes from the gospel. What does that mean? I had always understood that and taught that to mean that part of the Christian's armor is that you're given these shoes that allow you to go... To, to get ready to go share the gospel. That's not what it means at all. I, I pulled out all my commentaries this week, and I thought, what do the really smart guys have to say about these verses? Because I, I don't understand this one. And here's what I learned. The Roman soldier, uh, one of the things that the Romans developed that allowed them to literally rule the world, uh, was they, they developed, um, I don't want to say cleats, but that's the thought for those of you whose kids were soccer cleats or football cleats or baseball cleats. They were the first really army, army in the world to be able to attach to the bottom of their leather sandals pieces of rock, iron, metal, wood that would dig into the ground so that on a wet battlefield they could stand in place. And when the enemy was attacking and everyone was slipping and sliding around, they, they were able to stand firmly. Here's, here's what it means to have feet fitted with readiness. Here's, here's what, I, what I now understand this to mean. Because these weapons are defensive, not offensive. What what does that mean? These are not, we don't put these shoes on so that we can run a race. We put these shoes on so that we can be attacked or so we can sustain an attack. What does that mean? Feet fitted with the gospel, with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. Here's what Paul's trying to say. One of the things that Satan does is he tries to keep the Christian from having peace in their heart about their relationship with God. One of the things that Satan does is he, he wants you to think that God doesn't love you like God loves you. He wants you to think that God doesn't forgive you like God forgives you. He wants you to think that you can't be used like you're hearing me and other pastors say that God wants to use you. He wants to keep you in spiritual turmoil so when you lay awake at night, you, you feel distant from God rather than at peace with God. I had a conversation with a leader in our church this week who said, Christian, I had been divorced and I had been married for seven years before I realized that God had forgiven me for that divorce. You know, we have people in our church who are not at peace with God because of this negative garbage in their head that Satan is rolling around. And here's what the Apostle Paul is saying. The attack is coming. We live on a slippery slope spiritually anyway. Paul said, make sure you wear your cleats so that when the devil tries to hit you with all that stuff that makes you feel like you can't be at peace with God, that you can basically have stability in your life from understanding that you are at peace with God's love for you. That it's going to be okay, that God is real, that he does love you. And you don't have to question God's love for you. That's one of Satan's tactics, to get you to question God's love for you. God says, I'm going to create a weapon that puts you at peace with my love for you. For me, that's been transformational. For me to understand, Christian, if you just put on your cleats and realize that you are at peace with God, everything will be okay. And even when the attacks come, you're not going to slide back down the hill. Item, armor Item number four, shield of faith. This would be the third big one for me that God has really called me to embrace spiritually. The shield of faith. Paul says in verse four, 15, your feet are fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel peace. In addition to all this, verse 16, take up the shield of faith. Now Hebrews 11:1 says this, faith is the confidence in what we hope for, and it's the assurance about what we don't see. Let me read that again. Faith is the confidence in what we hope for, and it's the assurance about what we don't see. Let me tell you what, I, what I've become convinced of. I've become convinced that most Christians not only struggle with the concept of embracing faith, I'm convinced that many see faith as spiritual weakness. In this world of the new atheism and agnosticism and online chat rooms and questions and comments about Christianity, I believe that most Christians believe that faith is weak and if you can't line faith and facts up together, then maybe the facts aren't true. And I believe where God has said, embrace faith. Listen to what faith is. Faith is having confidence and assurance. And things you really can't be confident or assured about, except through the eyes of your spirit. And I believe most Christians today, we kind of shy away from faith and, and we're, we're kind of shameful for the portions of our Christianity that are faith. I don't, you know, I don't have all the answers. I don't know. It's just what I believe. Well, why? Well, it just is what I believe. Well, why? I don't have all the answers. I, I feel like Christianity is afraid to say that today. I feel like we're afraid to say, I just, I just have faith. As if faith isn't enough. Paul uses an interesting word for faith here that's, that's, that's been speaking to my heart this week. Because there were two kinds of shields. He uses an interesting word for shield that the Roman army carried um, and you can see this picture real well. Maybe you've seen the movie Gladiator, one of the greatest movies that have ever been made. I don't know that it'll make you a better Christian, but you'll have a good time if you watch it, probably. Um, but Russell Crowe is, is this Roman warrior who, who kind of gets captured and becomes a slave and revolts against the government. But you're able to see Ephesians 6 in him. As a matter of fact, you can kind of see the breastplate there made of leather and The belt of truth, tying it all together. You can see his little sword that he's got there. Um, But in this movie, you can see the two types of of shield that Roman soldiers carried. The first one was what's called a grappling shield. Go to the next picture if you would. Um, And they would use this in hand-to-hand combat. They would use this in battle. Um, And there was a specific Greek word for a shield that you wore on your forearm and you carried into battle with your sword. This isn't the word that Paul used for shield because Romans also had a different kind of shield. Show it if you can. You can't see this picture real good. Uh, They had a shield that was called a battle line shield. This was a shield, if you can see the person standing next to Russell Crowe. It was about four feet tall. It was almost three feet wide. And the Romans were the first army in the history of the world that learned how to interlock these battle line shields. And if you will go to the next picture, that's what a Roman legion would look like coming to do war when you were aiming at them. They literally would get a group of soldiers together. They would lock their shields in front. They would lock their shields on back. And there was no territory they couldn't penetrate because they were fully protected. This is the word that Paul used for shield of faith. Paul said, sometimes in your faith, you just got to get down behind your shield of faith and just wait for the attack to stop. You don't have to answer every question. You don't have to debate every argument. Sometimes you just say, it's just what I believe. Why? It's just what I believe. And if you say I'm hiding behind my faith, then I'll say I'm hiding behind my faith. It's just what I believe. Psalm 91 says it this way. Whoever dwells in the shelter of the Most High will rest in the shadow of the Almighty. Sometimes we just have to go crawl up underneath the shield of faith and say, God, I don't, I don't understand it all, but I believe it. I told you when I preached on... Uh, the devil and demons. I told you when I preached on angels, I don't understand all that stuff, but I believe it. And why do I believe it? Because of my faith. And you can make fun of my faith, but sometimes I just just have to put my shield in the ground and say, fire all the arrows you want. I cannot fire back. I don't have all the answers, but I can be protected with my faith and what it gives to me. Armor item number five is the helmet of salvation. Paul says, have the shield of faith and he says, after all this, take up the helmet of salvation. Now, for those of you who watch the news at all, if you're sports fans, you know this. If you just watch the news, you, you realize that the National Football League, the NFL, just recently settled a $765 million lawsuit with 18,000 former players that used to play football in the NFL for this reason and this reason only. They admitted for, that for the last 50 years... Um, they they did not pay careful enough attention to how to protect the head they basically said you know after 50 years of football we did not take seriously enough protecting the head and my fear is that churches are doing the same thing we're allowing people to play the game of church and christianity but we're not worried about protecting their head we're not worried about their salvation And we have people that come to church, and we have people in in many churches that that are lifelong members, and we have people that give, and we have people that serve, and we have people that do works in the community. We have people that have been baptized and catechized, and uh, um, they've been communion. They've taken part in everything, but they've never experienced salvation. That's someone three weeks ago on the way out on the sidewalk said, Hey, I want to get baptized. And I've never said this before, but I said it this time because I didn't know this person. I said, why? Why? Well, I just, I, I just need to get baptized. Isn't that what you do at church? I, just get, I need to get baptized. How many people have gotten baptized without giving their heart and their life to Jesus? How many people have been going to church their entire life and they've never... How many people have been playing the game of church, but they've never put on the helmet of Salvation. In John chapter 3, verse 3, Jesus having a conversation with Nicodemus, Jesus replied, very truly, I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God unless they're born again. This word born again, it's a, it's, a, it's a state in time, this rebirth, this thought that I want to now give my life to Jesus. And there are a lot of people. Could you imagine walking around a cemetery and headstone after headstone saying, birth, question mark, death, this, I mean, a lot of people I say, tell me, tell me when you became a Christian. Oh, I've always been a Christian. According to John 3, 3, that can't happen. You can't always be a Christian. At some point, you have to choose to have a rebirth, to be born again, to put all your faith in God and decide to follow Jesus. And I'm afraid there's a lot of people playing the game of church that have never, never put on the spiritual helmet, that they, they don't have a moment of salvation in their life. They, they have a, a past experience of church but they don't have a moment of salvation? Let me ask you this question. On your spiritual headstone, what is the date or the time or even even the event where you decided to become a follower of Jesus? Like if you don't know that, my challenge for you would be to choose today and for every day for the rest of your life to know that at least there's a point in your life where you said, I'm choosing this for me. This isn't the date my parents told me to get baptized. These aren't the classes that they sent me to to be confirmed, this was me saying, I'm going to commit to follow Jesus for the rest of my life. Because the cool thing about your spiritual tombstone is it has a birth date, but it does not have an end date. Because when you're born again, you last forever. So there's like just one date. Here's my name, here's when they were born again, and they have lived forever. That's, that's kind of the way it works, but my fear is that not a lot of people have that, or, or some people don't have that seriously nailed down in their heart. And then finally, armor item number six. Paul said you need to use the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. Now, just to go real quickly here, and I want to kind of drive to a, a time of spiritual next steps. We understand from Scripture that God's word should protect us. And sometimes the sword is used in a protective manner, somebody swings something at us and we're able to stop it. Matthew 4, Jesus was protected by God's word. But sometimes God's word should pierce us. It should cut us deep. It should touch our heart. It should convict us. It should, it should make us bleed a little bit spiritually for some change that needs to come. In Hebrews 4.12, the author of Hebrews says, The word of God is alive and it's active. It's sharper than any double-edged sword. And it penetrates even to the dividing soul and spirit. Joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. So sometimes God's word should kind of get into our soul and say, What do you need to do spiritually? And here's the spiritual thought of living for Jesus. And the pun is intended. The smartest Christians will purposefully live under armor. Now, my hope is that every time for the rest of your life, you see an under armor shirt, under armor hat, under armor sweatshirt, under armor pants, under armor shoes, under armor hat, that you think about the spiritual armor of God. But Paul says the smart Christians every day will get up and they'll get dressed spiritually and they will intentionally and purposefully live under the armor of God. But let me ask you this question. The sword of the Spirit's meant to pierce us. What is God saying to your heart today? What What did the sword of God's Spirit, what did the truth that was revealed to you today, what part of your being did it touch that you thought, I got to do that better? For many of you, just like in the early service, it's this helmet of salvation. And you're wondering now, maybe for the first time in your life, if you've been running around playing the game without a helmet on, because you honestly cannot think back to the day that you became a Christian. And you've always been around the church, and you really do honestly love God. And maybe, maybe you, you have become a follower of Jesus, and you can't remember when. But because it's such a big decision, most people remember, yeah, that, that was when I decided to become a Christian. If your helmet doesn't have a date stamped on it, then you need to stamp today. On that helmet. Maybe today the sword of the spirit is speaking, and go ahead, Brandon, you can start playing that guitar. Maybe today the sword of the spirit is speaking to you about right living. Maybe you love God and you're a Christian, but you are not living rightly spiritually, and you realize today you have no spiritual protection if you decide to operate outside the will of God in your life. Maybe today you're like me, and I've given you permission to duck down behind that shield of faith and not have all the answers. And not even know all the answers. And just be okay with with not only having a shield, but li- look at this. What happens if we would all lock our shields together? What could we do in this community, spiritually, if we would take our shields of faith and we would lock arms with the people in our small group, with the people in the ministries that we serve? What could we do in Lee Summit and Raymore and Peculiar and Belton and Grandview and Blue Springs overland park in olathe kansas city what could we do in the areas that you lived in if a group of believers decided to walk with their shields together and they created this spiritual hub of protection where they could penetrate any environment with the gospel of who jesus was what could we do instead of hiding or, or maybe feeling guilty that that there's an element of faith to our christianity what could we do maybe today for you it's the belt of truth maybe you're like me and your internal motor just runs so hot. But it's usually dishonest with you. Which means that it's, it's getting fed from Satan, who's the father of lies. And today you need to say, Lord, help me to put on the belt of truth. To get this garbage out of my head so I can serve you and be closer to you better. Maybe today you need feet fitted with readiness. Maybe you are not at peace with God today. And you want to be forgiven, but you just don't ever feel like God can use you. And today you need to put your cleats on so you don't keep sliding back spiritually because you're not at peace with how God loves you. I don't know what your next step is today, but I want to give you a, a moment in prayer to just wrestle with that spiritually, and maybe make that decision. So would you bow your heads with me and would you close your eyes and with every head bowed and every eye closed, what's the step that you need to take today to get dressed spiritually for spiritual life, which, what Paul calls warfare? By far the most important piece of equipment with every head bowed and every eye closed is the helmet of salvation. And if you're in here today and you cannot remember the day you first, got hit it, you first got fitted for your helmet of salvation, you can't remember a day and a time in your life when you put it on. And maybe you've gone to church your entire life, but maybe you were like one of our attenders on the sidewalk. Or you, like you just realized what you're supposed to do and you started doing it, but you skipped the first step. If that's you today, your first step today, whether you are for the first time committing or whether today you are stamping this date on your spiritual life, just to be for certain that you've put on this helmet of salvation and you've made this decision, your first step is to open up your heart, to give it to Jesus and to make a life commitment to follow him and his plan for your life. If that's you today, I'm going to pray a prayer that you can follow. You don't have to say it out loud. You can just say it in your heart. Here's here's what I'd like you to do. If if that's you and today you want to put on the helmet of salvation, I'm going to ask you to to pray a prayer, something like this. Just repeat this after me and you you can add to it as your spirit feels led. Dear God, today I want to be able to wear the helmet of salvation. I want to be born again. I want to experience a spiritual rebirth that's of my choice and of my commitment. So, today, by faith, which means I don't understand it all, but I believe it all. Today, I want to ask you to forgive me of my sin. And I acknowledge that my life and the way that I've lived my life has kept me separated from you because you're perfect. I realize Jesus died for my sin so that I could be forgiven and clean so that I could be close to you. So today, by faith, I ask that you would save me, that you would change me, that you would fill me with your Spirit, and I commit on this day to give the rest of my life to you.